when I got hit from the side, which felt like being hit by a truck at the mm. time, and soon realised I was being attacked by a four and a half, five metre great white shark. And the shark just like turned on this 90 degree angle and came charging back at me the second time. But unfortunately for me, I was off my board, so I had nothing to protect me at all. Yeah. I grabbed my left leg and it just it dragged me through the water. We got about, I think, 11 kilometres down the road and that's, that's where we met the ambulance. By then, you know, my heart had completely stopped. The paramedics opened the back door of Nick's Land Cruiser and I was lying in there completely lifeless. You know, I was as white as a sheet of paper and, and no one was doing CPR. The, the paramedics thought oh, they were too late to spare the truth. You know, yeah. they thought they, they were just going to be taking back a dead body. By speaking to other people, it realised that maybe this whole thing I've been through had, was, had a much bigger purpose and maybe the purpose of my whole trauma and everything I've been through was to, to help and serve others. Um, and that's what I'm doing now. That's why I'm getting up and sharing my story and hope that I can help other people that are going through hard times and inspire them to do things that are outside of their comfort zone or do things that are hard. And This week on the Fit Parent Playbook, we speak with Chris Blows, whose story is a testament to resilience, determination, and a pursuit of passion. He's a shark attack survivor who turned adversity into an opportunity, not just to become a better person himself, but to also help others be the best version of themselves. His story is one that reminds us to be grateful for the little things we're able to do each day and will inspire you to get back up and follow whatever passion you have, even if you think it can't be done. Just before we get into the podcast, please take a quick second to jump onto Instagram and follow us. Also, make sure you hit that subscribe button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Jason. A DK. How are you, mate? I'm great, mate. Pretty excited about today's guest. Me too, mate, because I'm telling you, this is one amazing, incredible story. It is. We're about to share the astounding account of Chris Blows, a surfer whose life took an unimaginable turn. He was out doing what he loved most, and then uh, suddenly the unthinkable happened. I'll let Chris tell that story, but just be ready for it. Um, since then, he's gone on to build a successful business in building and also speaking, um, proving that setbacks are just set as setups for comebacks. And guess what? What, mate? He's not just conquering the business world. He's also back out in the waves as an Australian para-surfing champion. Another another para-champion. Yes. Yeah. And if that's not impressive enough, Chris is also a husband and a father of two with his new addition, uh, born less than two weeks ago. His journey from the depths of despair to these incredible heights is a testament to the power of the human spirit and the unwavering will to overcome wow what an incredible story we're about to hear chris welcome to the podcast mate thanks for having me mate tell it i need to hear it tell me what happened that day at port lincoln yeah okay so the paint the picture of the you know the day before a little bit yeah uh, chloe had gone over to we were living in port lincoln at the time uh chloe's a school teacher over there i was working as a carpenter She's your wife? Yeah, that's yep. my wife, yeah. And Chloe had gone back to Adelaide the night before for a music festival. Right. Um, <laughs> me being me, got my mates around the night before, had a few beers. Um, it was the day before Anzac Day and, you know, woke up the next morning a little yep. bit hungover. Mm -hmm. um, Nick's dad, the guy I was having drinks with the night before, he's actually, his dad served in Vietnam and um, 
he really it was really important for him to for us to get up and go to dawn service so he was yeah. knocking on the door you know whenever it was we went to dawn service the one thing i remember of that morning is just the how bad the weather was i remember mm. standing out getting absolutely soaked you know the rain was coming in sideways and you know dawn service had finished we were saturated and we thought like, we're already we're already wet we might as well head out to a spot known as, as fishery bay and go for a surf so you weren't planning on going surfing that day not really nah too nah. hung over <laughs> we're really, I was really oh, yeah. hung over <laughs> And, um, yeah, wasn't real happy when he was knocking on the door at 5.30 in the morning or yeah. 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah, so we thought, yeah, we'll head out and, and we went to a spot called Fishery Bay. It's about 35k southwest of Port Lincoln. Right. It's like the closest spot, surf spot to, to Port Lincoln. And, like, it's probably it was one of those beaches you can – it's a really, really nice beach. You can mm. drive on the beach, white sand beach, um, beautiful water, and you can surf both right sides of the point. So you've got a left point and a right point. I was surfing right point, mm-hmm. and as I said, you know the weather was very average. I remember it was so cold. We we're up in the windy, up on the cliff. I, was, I actually got into my wetsuit while I was in the car, and you know climbing down the cliff, uh, I'd probably be being, you know, got into the water, um, and I'd probably be surfing for probably an hour, and I just got a wave, and I was paddling, paddling back out the channel, um, back out to the suck rock, which is normally the takeoff spot in this lineup i would have got you know within 10 20 meters of the suck rock and i got when i got hit from the side which felt like being hit by a truck at the mm. time and soon realized i was being attacked by a four and a half five meter great white shark yeah so you know i instantly screamed and um that sent everyone scrambling for the rocks mm. um including my two good mates nick and brock who i was surfing with they didn't realize it was me at this stage and the shark was just tearing into the into my side, you know. Had the underside of my board, and and its top jaw was over my hip, and it was just like the one thing I remember about this moment was how strong the shark was. Yeah. Um, and it was in, it was in control the whole time, you know. It was, it was shaking me around, and then it let go of me. Yeah. I was then off my board, and, and by this stage, uh, Nick and Brock had realised it was me, and they started their paddle back out to help me. So incredibly courageous to do that like oh. they're, they're they're running into the line of fire like, oh absolutely mate like and nick just he says this to me he remembers one thing you know it's burnt in his mind that you know he just remembers how when he was paddling towards me how much you know, he could see the fear in my face and how much i just wanted to be out of the water and that's why you know i was swimming really hard towards nick and brock who are on their way back out as i said i was off my board at this stage and the shark had let go of me for the, you know, but I still had these, you know, hand sized bite marks down my left flank, you know, yeah. it opened me right up down the side. I, I had this cut, you know, my finger was just mm. hanging on as well. As I, I think it was just my natural, natural reaction to push a shark away and I must have yeah. caught a tooth or something like that. And I thought I was making good ground, you know, I was, when I was attacked, I was probably only in waist deeper water. Oh. And, uh, and I was, I was probably getting, I was getting close to, close to Nick and Brock and, and the shark just like turned on this 90 degree angle and came charging back at me the second time. But unfortunately for me, I was off my board, so I had nothing to protect me at all. Yeah. I grabbed my left leg and it just, it dragged me through the water. You know, I remember having to hold my breath. I felt like I was underwater for that long and, and it just violently shook me until it then ripped my left leg off above the knee. So you could imagine how much blood I was starting to lose at this yeah. stage. Yeah. You know, I'd had 
this bite mark down my side, you know, had this hand or this finger that was kind of semi-severed and then my left leg had been ripped off above the knee. Um, so, and, and did you feel the pain or was there just adrenaline running through? What's nah, going through your mind? That's the other thing too, you know, your body goes into fight or flight yeah. and it shuts all those things down. It's like a protection mechanism. Just shock. Yeah. And yeah. I had no pain at all, which is, um, yeah, crazy. And yeah. But then, yeah, as I said, when, when it ripped my leg off, leg off above the knee, I then popped up and we were, Nick and Brock we were like virtually swimming around a pool of my blood. Uh, we kind of just we were a bit stagnant in the water for a little bit. We were just looking at each other. I was, the boys were in shock, you know, they could just see this board bobbing around them because I had my, had my left leg and it was still attached to my leg rope, my board. So, you know, it's a terminology they call like it. My board was just like bobbing around like a fishing float. Like they call it tombstoning. And so they could see where the shark was the whole time just from where my board was. Right. And yeah. the boy, I just remember, you know, the, the boys were freaking out. I was freaking out. Uh, I tried to climb onto Nick's back. We kind of got hit by a wave and that separated us a little bit. And then I think we regathered and the boys just got on either side of me and they just sort of frog leaped me to shore. How and far from shore were you? Oh, it's, I'm uncertain this time, but we've only been, you know, 10, 20. 10, 20 meters from the, wow. from the rocks. We kind of washed down the point a little bit and I actually ended washing up at a spot known as the cave where it's like the, the spot where most surfers paddle out. There was already, you know, a couple of surfers waiting there. Uh, one, of the, one of the surfers who actually was surfing past me as I was attacked uh, had his leg rope already off his board. So he went straight in and he had his leg rope off his board. He knew, yeah. that, you know, you know there was, yeah, mm. he tied that on my... Uh, they Nick and Brock tied that on my stump while I was still in the water, and um, you know if they went on two minutes later, I, I probably would have bled to death, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, but the, the only issue was I was at the bottom of this cliff, and they had to get me up. You know, yeah, it's kind of lucky it was you know Fishery Bay. Most surf spots on the Air Peninsula, you're climbing down a cliff with no stairs, so in that sense, I was lucky. Um, I was lucky there was probably ten to fifteen surfers surfing that day, so they were able to get me across these slippery rocks, which are hard to walk across at the best mm. of times, um, and get me up a flight of stairs. I think I counted 150 stairs with about five or six different platforms. And uh, the boys just did an amazing job. They, they you know, they, everyone worked as a team. They were like, get me to one platform. They'd like all change over, a couple of guys would jump over me. They'd get me to the next platform. In this time, someone had already reversed Nick, my mate's land cruiser back up. And, you know, they threw me into the back of the land cruiser straight away. And that's when I realized that, well, that's when my heart had stopped. And uh, well, close to that point, you know, that's why I don't really remember anything from that point. Yeah, right. say, uh, Nick and we got about, I think, 11 kilometers down the road. And that's, that's where we met the ambulance. And by then, you know, my heart had completely stopped. Paramedics opened the back door of Nick's Land Cruiser and I was lying in there completely lifeless. You know, I was as white as a sheet of paper and, and no one was doing CPR. The, the paramedics thought oh, they were too late to tell the truth. You yeah. know, they thought they, they were just going to be taking back a dead body, but they had to try. They, they, they got me straight into the back of the, the ambulance and, you know, we're still half an hour from Port Lincoln Hospital here. They don't carry blood on the ambulances. They, they started to administer CPR straight away. Mm-hmm. And... As I said, they don't carry blood, so they used an IV drip. They got that into me, and that kept any little bit of blood I had in my body circulating around. And that senior CPR continued for the next 30 minutes until I got to Pauling Hospital. Um, so, and then over that next period of time, they got me into the 
the emergency room and that, that you know that cpr started at 10 a.m and it didn't stop till 11 15 a.m um in that time i had eight units of blood and 12 units of plasma so a lot of blood you know to put that into context a little bit the average human body has 10 units of blood right so you know i pretty much in an hour i lost everything yeah and yeah the were definitely stacked against me at that stage you know they, they've been doing cpr for so long i think they were there's two or three doctors two wanted to stop doing cpr one didn't um they actually must have saw something in me mm. but you know they said we have to stop this there is a high risk of him having brain damage due to the amount of CPR we've been doing and how long we've been going for. But, um, you know, I, I think they were about to stop and I went to go call, pull the breathing tube that was in my throat out and oh, the, whole, the whole room went silent, you know. They Holy thought, shit. shit. Yeah. Do you remember that moment where you uh, sort of I, I regained consciousness? Going back and talking about it, I said something. I remember like some yellow capes and stuff like that and they were the colours they were wearing. But other than that, I... I don't really remember. Yeah, I don't remember being loading loaded into the helicopter another twenty minutes after that, and yeah, and I don't remember until you know I woke up in an induced coma ten days later. Um, you know, wow. Yeah. So they they flew you from Port Lincoln to Adelaide straight away, basically. Yeah. So uh, my attack was at ten a. Or so yeah, it was. I, I landed in Adelaide at three o'clock. Yep. So that was like six hours after my attack. So you can okay. imagine like they hadn't had any surgery or anything. You no. can imagine how unstable I was. I think in the helicopter, they, they almost lost me again because mm-hmm. they couldn't stop the, they stopped, they could stop the bleeding from my stump, but they couldn't stop the bleeding from the first bite mark down my left flank. And I was kind of wrapped up in this, you know, suit or whatever they had me in. And my blood pressure went ridiculously low again. And they had, to, when I got to Port Lincoln, uh, when I got to Adelaide, they had to have someone waiting on the helipad with another bag of blood. So they, they almost lost me again in the in the helicopter and i was rushed straight into emergency surgery that night and my family you know they, they were shoved into this room there was counselors you know and i think the words to my family was like you know the situation is very grave you know mm-hmm. even if he does make you know the, the chance of him surviving is probably like 10 percent mm. chance of him surviving the night and yep. if he does survive and wake up he'll probably most certainly have brain damage so you can imagine what that would have oh, yeah. been like for my parents and family, you know, knowing what I'm like, you know. But it was just a real uncertain time for them. And um, <laughs> luckily for me, though, yeah, 10 days later, I did wake my coma and I was fine. Yeah. But uh, I was going into complete renal failure and that was due to the hour and 15 minutes of CPR I had, the blood loss. And, you know, I was, I was straight onto the dialysis machine, I think. Uh, you know, I, my body swelled up. I went yellow. My liver wasn't working. My kidneys weren't working. And even though I'd woken up and I was still mentally okay, I wasn't out of the woods yet and I had a long road ahead of me still. So, All right. Yeah. Amazing. Unbelievable, mate. To, to actually even just be here today. That's mm, just an incredible story. Now, your parents, you mentioned, they've been told, you know, there's a 10% chance of you surviving and you're probably going to be what a, a vegetable yeah i mean yeah then you can imagine what that would have been like oh, yeah. it was funny that the first they tried to wake me out of my so in that 10 days they tried to wake me from my coma a couple of times and the weird thing is i remember that because i they, they say when you know, someone's in a coma if you have a family you should yeah. talk to them i remember people i remember like my music being played i remember these things and 
I kind of, they would never, when they tried to wake me from the coma, they would never give me long enough to show any signs. So they put me back under and that happened two or three times. And I started to get really, really frustrated. And then, because I had this bloody breathing tube down my throat and all this sort of stuff. And what they, what happened in the end, they just, they let me go for a little bit longer and I ended up spelling mum and dad in the air with my fingers. And they're like, right. And then Chloe goes, he's, he's, he's showing signs. And they, and they pulled me out yeah. and I ended up like, abusing everyone. <laughs> I was really, because I was so pissed off that like, yeah, yeah, they no. wouldn't, they tried to do this a couple of times. Yeah, and, right. and I like really lost it at everyone. I was telling the nurses. <laughs> and uh, Well, I suppose you had no way of communicating, right? You yeah, had no way I, of telling I, them, look, I'm good here. And it got to like, the point where I had to fucking spell it out in the air. Like, yeah. 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 You yeah. feel so helpless, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just fucking give me a couple more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that was your way of telling them. So you spelt it out. So, but how do you, how do you think of that? Because it's not like, oh shit, I'm going under again. Next I, time I, was, I get up, I'm going to write it and out. And that's the thing. I was like, they'd pump me with ketamine and fentanyl and all this sort of stuff. I thought I was like, when I was awake from my coma, <laughs> I closed my eyes and I thought I was in like the Rundle Street food, food mall like, with my arms around. Like I was on yeah. another planet. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's, it's weird yeah it was like those, it was a confusing um couple of weeks for me and i think it probably took me i, think they took, I didn't realize i'd actually been attacked by a shark for probably you know maybe three weeks yeah yeah, yeah so that I was was a, still, that's that's where the state yeah, i was in so still cooked. i was yeah 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 so when you eventually came to you've you're like shit i'm alive yeah. what the hell has happened and why don't i have a leg is that what was going through you? Pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> and once I'd realised I'd lost my leg, I think I, I said to Chloe, how, the, how am I going to surf again? Yeah, that was your first thing, uh, first yeah. reaction. And she's yeah. like, are you fucking serious? You've yeah. just been attacked by a shark. Like, you, I'm You're like, lucky to be alive. Uh, yeah, You're not going to surf yeah, yeah. ever again no matter what, yeah. even yeah. if you did have a leg and this stuff. Exactly. Like, you can imagine being told that, waking up from your coma. Like, with yeah. it, I was obsessed with surfing. I was surfing yeah. two, three times a week at least. Yeah. And then to be told that when you awake from your coma, it was like a little bit grim and yeah i think that never all these things probably never really sunk in until i got out of hospital and i was off all the drugs and that's where sort of when everything really hit so how home. long how long was this until you were at home so off the drugs? uh eight weeks yeah um and you know getting off the pain medication stuff was really really hard i you know i was on a fence i had this button where i could press Every five minutes to give me a hit of fencing. And I was on that thing for like four weeks straight. Yeah. Along with ketamine. So when I come off that, I got really, really sick. And like I had like withdrawals. And um, it took me a while to get like, I wasn't addicted to anything, but it just made me really sick. And yeah. it took me a long time. But then my mental health, like, in, got really depressed when I first got home. And it was all coming off all this medication. I was just, and everything, you know, really it hit. Like everything was different. You know, yeah. I was having to relearn everything. I was having to, you know, I'd moved, I'd gone from living with my uh, my partner Chloe in Port Lincoln by herself to now living in the moving back home to, with Mum in the middle of winter. Yeah, she was currently doing a bathroom renovation, so I was having to get on crutches or in a wheelchair in the middle of the night and go out to a portable toilet oh. outside. Everything was like, yeah, you know, it really sunk in that life is a lot different now. Yeah, and you know, I got. That was probably my lowest point um, mm. I've ever had, I think. Well, so things, first all, everything really sunk yeah. in. And I thought, Shit, you know, my life has my changed. Life has changed. Or just little things that we all take for granted, like getting in and out of the car, going to the toilet in the middle mm. of the night. I had to relearn how to do those things on one leg. Um, 
and that was a real sobering feeling. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So how do you come back from that? Like, I mean, a lot of people would just be like, I'll just give up, I'll quit. Yeah. You decide you're not a quitter and you're uh, going to not just get back up, but you're going to get back on a surfboard. Yeah, I mean, I think we uh, are actually a lot like tougher mentally and physically than we give ourselves credit for. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at that time when I was, you know, when I made it up that cliff, you know, when, you, when your life depends on it, it's amazing, like, if you, what you can achieve, like, um, mm-hmm. and that's when I look back at that moment, that, it made me realise that, that, you know, I literally was in fight or flight and, you know, it was just like, I don't know how, and I'm mm-hmm. still here, you know, so. Yeah. Do you think um, what your mates did for you? had a massive impact on you wanting to bounce back and, and keep on going because um, it's pretty incredible what they did. Like they, they are really heroes of this story. Yeah, mate. Like, you know, I think the best thing for them as well, like the best thing for them as well is them seeing me get back into surfing and stuff like that has helped them a lot because they, 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 this has really affected them as well. Absolutely. Brock and Nick have, you know, both suffered from it and not, not just Brock and Nick, it's been like the paramedics that, attended to me that day the person that called triple zero on the cliff um the poor person that retrieved my leg with my legs still attached to my leg or retrieved my board my leg still attached to my leg rope on the beach it has like these things these traumatic had a ripple effect on everyone not just myself so Mm. um yeah getting back hasn't been easy but i found when i was being really negative and down in those early stages i wasn't achieving anything i wasn't getting having steps forward but when i made that conscious effort to be positive and be grateful for the things i still had in my life that's when i actually started to bounce back from my recovery mm. and it was having that positive mindset that actually helped me get through that next period of, of rehab which was probably the next step um uh, learning to walk again something we all take for granted every yeah. day and how, how did you do that did you have like counseling did you have support to help you get through that not really i had um I, I had, i'm very lucky i had lots of uh, family and friends you know yeah. not everyone has that support network that i do um but i suppose it's just it's just learning it's just personal experience along the way just learning that like i'm being really negative and i'm this i wasn't making any i wasn't moving forward mm. yeah so it's just from just learning from you know try not to it's, you can be it's important it's not going to go good all the time but i found when i made a pot like made a conscious effort to be positive that's it really really did help yeah, it made a difference yeah absolutely. especially i think the gratitude thing that you spoke about oh grateful that you know just for grateful for the little things that i'm yeah. still even here yeah you know and things that I, at least i can still get up and walk and you know and there's people that are still much more worse off than i am you know? yeah 100 percent. and yeah. just going back like that other doctor the one that did continue the cpr have you ever spoken to them at all about like why or did they see something or <laughs> michelle uh the co-author in my book she was a doctor she was the one that decided to keep going and she said she, she just saw something i don't right yeah she doesn't know why she's had this feeling that day so um, she she helped write the book that's right yeah, yeah cool yeah um so I, do, I don't honestly don't know why like that's you know when i walked into the hospital yeah uh pulling at hospital again a few months later yeah. the whole bloody war was in tears they couldn't believe you know that i walked in mm. you know, she was like I think I started, I went back to Pauline first time, I walked into the coffee shop and a paramedic came up to me in tears and she goes, you won't remember this, but she goes, I sat on top of you and did, did tag team CPR for 
a very, very long time. And yeah, just right. to see you walking here has oh, made me really emotional. So weird. Yeah. So, yeah. Unbelievable, Jason. Mm. Is, this is one absolutely incredible story. Now, a couple of things before we move on. What, what happened to the leg? <laughs> it came in, it actually came in, like, the, like, the police, like, my mate, whoever grabbed it on the beach, he gave it to the police. It yeah. came come to hospital while they were still under so CP, they- CPR, <laughs> and they knocked on the door or something like this, and they said, we got his leg, and the doctor's like, what do you think I'm going to do with that? Like, we're just trying to keep him alive here in here. So it come to, but they come to Adelaide with me. Yeah. Come, you know, um, don't know what they do with the legs. I suppose yeah. it just gets. It's gone. Yeah. You don't have it? No. <laughs> no. no souvenir for the nah. day? No? No, nah, nothing. Now, Jason, Chris does have a book out, as he, he mentioned, and he can also be hired as a keynote speaker. Yeah. Right? And so I don't want to ruin too much of his story because I believe that he can really, really influence a lot of businesses and a lot of people um, by sharing his story. He mentioned gratefulness and how he bounced mm-hmm. back. What we want to know today on this podcast, we want to delve into how this has changed you as a person now that you're a father as well. And also what you're doing fitness-wise now, you know, we, we hear a lot of excuses, don't we, Jace, about, mm. you know, why, why we can't maintain a health and, and fit lifestyle. Now, this guy is just a walking example of how to do it. So we want to tap into that side a little bit. So tell us a little bit about your family. Um, obviously, you, we've mentioned Chloe a fair bit here. Yeah, so I've got my wife, Chloe. She's, well, I grew up in the Adelaide Hills. Uh, Chloe's also from Adelaide Hills and we met when we were younger <laughs> she got a uh, teaching uh, scholarship after she finished uni to go over there Peninsula so that's how we mm. ended up over there and yeah we, we instantly fell in love we had the same interest she was happy to sit on the beach for three hours while I surfed and so, so were you surfing before while you were living in the hills yeah yeah I surfed oh yeah so it's yeah, right. yeah and just like most people in LA, do the trip down to Victor, yeah. the area, and learn to surf. But I think when I moved over to the Peninsula, that's where I you would have been like, yes, yeah, it's like unreal <laughs> waves and like uncrowded. But um, and then yeah, so then obviously this whole this whole attack happened, and she's been there the whole time. Um, th- I think two years or three years after my attack, we get married, and then not long after that, we have our first child, Eddie, yeah, a little boy, and um, and then. Now we've got our second, uh, another three years later, uh, a little girl called Winnie. And, yeah, life's changed a lot for me now. Um, but I think, you know, I'll never say that I, I would, you know, how can I say that? Cause some people say, again, the, their, their traumatic event was the best thing that's happened to them. I'm never going to yeah. be like that. I, I kind of yeah. wish I didn't get attacked by a shark. It's going to affect me both phys- physically and mentally for the rest of my life. Um, but... It has, I think, it has made me a better person. Yeah. And I've had a lot of personal growth from my setbacks and challenges and stuff like that. So, I think, yeah, it's one of those things, you know. Yeah. As a father now, does it make you even more grateful for what happened that day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I always get asked that question too. I always get people say, you know, we can live. You let Eddie get into surfing, that sort of yeah. stuff. And of course, I am. You know. Yeah. Um, the chances of that happening very slim, but that's I would can't wait to share all these things with, with my kids. Yeah, so, so getting back on the surfboard was obviously a major part of your recovery, um, and it's a major part of your fitness now. You're now complete competing next week, is that? Yeah. So I've got yeah. uh, so so started so after I got into surfing, it took me like probably a year and a half to get back into surfing after I was attacked. Yeah. I kind of lost the interest for it. Fair uh, enough. <laughs> yeah, you haven't you haven't surfed back where. No, nah, no happened. way. I won't ever surf Fishery no, Bay, no. but I still surf on the Air Peninsula, silly right. enough. But 
yeah, it took me probably 12 months, two years to get back into it. And then I really got into it. You know, I fell in love with it again, had that yeah. passion for surfing again. Then I thought, oh, I might as well start doing some competition. So I did a couple of local ones around here in South Australia. Then I ended up going over to uh, Port Macquarie and surfing in the Australian adaptive surfing titles. Didn't do any good the first year I competed. Um, I was sort of still getting used to the, the leg and being able to stand up and that. Second time I went, I won the Australian title, which then got me a spot in the Australian team. After that, I went to uh, America in December last year to compete in the World Adaptive Surfing titles, which I didn't get the result I wanted, but it was super inspiring. I think it was like 300 competitors from around the world of all kinds of disabilities, and it was just an awesome event. And so I've done that one, and then I'm, I'm heading into America in two weeks to surf in the US Adaptive Surfing title. So hopefully... I can do a little bit better in that one. I mean, I haven't had the chance, just having a kid, I haven't had the chance to surf as much as I'd like to leading yeah. up to it, but I'm really looking forward to it. And that's obviously how, you know, I'm not super fit, but that's how I keep fit and that's how I keep mentally fit as well as doing, getting back into surfing, doing the things I like doing. I do a bit of swimming, um, but yeah, surfing's my number one, yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, how do you manage your time? Like you've just said, you've got two young kids, um, a wife, a business as well. Yep. You're a keynote speaker. Like, how, where do you get the time to surf, and how do you and Chloe manage that? I'm a very good wife, luckily. <laughs> but um, yeah, I suppose I just um, like. Is there a set time during the week where you just say, "This is this is my time"? Not, or, not really. We we kind of both. Do, she, she's just very lenient with me, and yeah. she likes as long as I'm doing things that are healthy for me. Yeah. She's very supportive of that. If I'm out at the pub drinking beers, she's like, "Get home." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. fair enough. But if I'm if I'm very lucky with Chloe, if, if I'm if I'm going for a surf, going for a surf, I'm coming to the gym to do some like some fitness or whatever. She's very happy for me to do that because she knows mentally. Yep. That's the best thing for me. And you're going to show up better at home. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, like I said, I haven't had, before I got here, it's unheard of for me. I'm, oh, you know me, I do like a drink, but I haven't had a drink for five weeks. And, That's amazing. Um, just, you just know there's a big difference how much better dad, how much yeah. easier I am to be around, stuff yeah. like that. Um, what was the reason for giving up drinking? I think just, um, just being better mentally. Like, obviously, I've since my attack you know i was real late to get ptsd yeah um it wasn't until i think five years after my attack i it all started and it was due to a stressful job i was in at the time and it all just come you know i thought i started to have these crazy panic attacks and and you know i'd be i was starting to have night i was waking up in the middle of the night i'm hearing sirens hearing bombs don't know why um waking up in hot sweats then i'd be just doing the general day things, I'd be driving in the car and all of a sudden I'd have these weird episodes where I couldn't see or it looked like cars were coming at me at like 300 kilometres an hour oh. and it was, every, the tree, everything was moving and fast forward and I thought I was going crazy and I thought, well, you know, this can't be PTSD. I've been taken by sharp. I surely would have had this a long yes. time ago. And my behaviour probably started to change a little bit around people and it wasn't until, you know, a mate said to me, like, are you going okay? Like, you seem a little bit different. And friends and stuff probably started to notice some changes in my behaviour. And What were those changes? I think just not sort of really just being, I probably started to drink a bit too much. Yeah. Um, I was probably less patient. I was getting angrier at things, you know, just zero patience with anything. Mm. And, and as I said, just like not 
mentally there, you know, they could see that I had something on my mind. And I said, I'm actually not going that good. This is what's been happening. And it was actually one of my, and I had a mate say, you know, look, I've had the exact same thing happen to me, you know, what you've been through. And I actually ended up going speaking to someone, like a psychologist after that, just to understand it a bit better. And, you know, I, that's, just having that conversation with someone, just a mate asking me, you know, are you okay? Um, really has really helped me for where I am today. You know, if I didn't have that conversation, I don't know where I'd be. Mm. Um, yeah. You've, you've mentioned the word lucky a fair few times. Is that another one of those lucky <laughs> things that someone just asked you, are you okay? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. it's very important to, you know, if you do notice one of your mates or something, a change in behavior, it could be anything that you just, you've just got to ask, you know, how are you traveling all right? Because um, sometimes you just never know. Mm. Um, yeah. And what were you doing fitness-wise at that time when you were going through the PTSD? Probably not a lot. A yeah. bit more, probably too much drinking, yep. too much partying, stuff like that. And that's the worst thing you can do. It's good at the time, you know. Yeah. Alcohol makes you feel great. It's probably the best thing for anxiety until you stop doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it works really well. But, yeah, it, that you keep, the more and more you do it, the worse it gets. And then going back to what you said, that's probably why I've stopped. Yeah. I realize how much better I am, how much better dad I am, how much better, more organized and motivated I am at work mm-hmm. and just just general everyday life. Um, I've started swimming a lot more. Um, yeah, I'm keen to, as I said, I've, this thing I want to do, really want to do a triathlon now. I've had, I, I, when I, before I lost my leg, the one thing I'd love to do to lose, keep fit was run. I yeah. can't do that anymore. So... I'm you can't pro- run at all? I can't run at all. No, yeah. I mean, this leg you're meant to be able to, but you need something with, like a, you all know Oscar Pistorius or the people that have yeah. blades, it gives you that feedback so it's easy to run. Yeah. So I've, got to, I've looked into getting a, a running leg, which is about $20,000. Um, hopefully with the NDIS, with the new plan, they can help me get that and I can, yeah, I'm really keen to do a triathlon or something like that and, um, yeah, do you to run again? I that feeling of just breaking into a jog. It's something I've missed in yeah. the past eight years. That'd be awesome, man. Yeah. It's one of those things, Jace, you, you hear this and it just makes you want to run or, mm. or do, try a triathlon. Yeah. Or, it's just one of those, thing, those yeah. things you take for granted, no, being able to say yeah. run, you know. Yeah, that's um, right. It's something I haven't been able to do for eight years yeah. and I'm really hanging. And it's possible. Yeah. Um, oh, so I just got to, oh, that's the process I'm doing at the moment is yeah, trying, yeah. To, trying to sort that out. Oh, that'd be great. Is that the thing you miss the most? I, it is like I have dreams about like still playing footy and running and mm. stuff like that. Yeah, well, um, I think it's a natural thing to do, isn't it? Just yeah. go for a run or oh, yeah. run to catch it's, a just bus. Just like or... even like there've been times when like when Eddie first got, yeah, yeah. got his balance bike oh, and we're like course. we're yeah. going down, we live around just around the corner and we're heading towards Marion Road and he's like not listening to yeah. me. <laughs> it's like I'm like oh no, like he's you heading towards Marion Road. I'm like shit, I can't run. I'm being close. This is what's happening. Yeah. He's like calm down, calm down. And then, oh. <laughs> yeah, those what's are some, what's some other things that, um, you know, you struggle to do now as a parent that, you know, you and me, for instance, Jace, might take for granted? Well, I take my leg off at night to sleep. Yeah. So probably helping out a bit there with Chloe, getting up in the middle of the night, still like, you know, hold, I've got to do it all on crutches. Um, putting a leg on isn't, after, we're doing what I do for work as well, like working as a builder real physical job so when you get home you can't wait to take your leg off and then getting up in the middle of put it, it's a bit of a process putting your leg back on rolling your liner on it can be a little bit uncomfortable yeah um so just doing that in the middle of the night a bit of a pain so that's another thing i miss be i just get up and 
straight mm. away put on your, just get up and walk and do something i just it's a it, getting up every morning is a process yeah it's yeah. it's not just you know so it's yeah, back on back on the booze. So, you, is this the longest you've gone <laughs> conscious without since it was thirteen? Okay. Yeah. Since I was forced to when I was in hospital. Yeah, but yeah. since I was like, I think since I was like the age of you know sixteen, seventeen, you just that's what yeah. you do when you start drinking. Yeah. I, I haven't probably gone this long since. Really? I was, I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, it's crazy. So, it? what do you think is going to happen after? Well, I realise I haven't missed out on anything. Yeah. Um, I f- and I'm, like, I'm, I'm not going to sort of give up drinking forever, no, but no. I, hopefully it changes my relationship with the alcohol a little yeah. bit. Mm. Um, yeah, hopefully I finally realise that, yeah, that's, I feel heaps better, I'm more organised, you know, kind of when you're drinking every second night, it holds you back a fair bit mm. and you don't realise that until you, you just stop drinking. Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, we've talked about it so many times on this uh, podcast it gives you so much more clarity and if you do have issues or whatever your things you want to improve in your life you're sort of forced to yeah you can't just on the weekend go and have uh six beers and pass out at night yeah that's it and then that's the other thing too when you get the older you get to and you have kids you start thinking about your, your health a bit too yeah. you know i was i was starting to get high blood pressure again yeah and i shouldn't have high, you know i had high blood pressure because of my renal failure really mm. high blood pressure so i was on blood pressure medication all of a sudden, I was just a doctor. Uh, we all have a yearly uh, checkup from the doctor uh, that I hate going to, but my wife makes me do, and she took my blood pressure, and she's like, made me monitor it for the next right. two to three, four weeks, and yep. it was shocking. Right. And she's like, you got to go back on blood pressure medication. And I'm like, mm, oh. so I did for a bit, and I'm like, stuff, what am I doing? Like, yeah, you don't want to be doing that at your age. I'm like, yeah. My bloody blood pressure medication it's, it was making me put on weight. Yeah. It just made me feel, I was struggling to get, it, was, it made me, I don't know, it must have changed something with my, I was finding it really hard to get into my socket in the morning. It was just, it was the worst. I was right. like, I need to change, I need to sort my shit out pretty much. Mm. Yeah. What's the lowest point that you got to? Uh, 100% first, uh, sitting, uh, being, at, being at home, my, um, with mum and all the family just sitting on the side of the bed one morning, like two days out of the hospital and just sitting there and I just like broke into tears and just like really, was really, everything really sunk and I realised my life is going to be a lot different now. Mm. I don't think I'd yeah. <laughs> realise, you know, but the more I got, the further I got on, I realised that um, I was still able to walk around, I was still able to surf eventually and I'm now I'm just used to it. It's just you just got to. Everyone goes through hard times. It's just trying to get through them and come out on the other side. And and once you come out on the other side, I, you know, living proof that you know you can do anything you want to if you if you really have the right mindset. As a parent now, can you begin to imagine what your parents were going through for those ten days while she was in your car? <laughs> they had to call an ambulance for my mum when she found out. Oh shit! Because <laughs> she was having a panic attack and. Far out. Like, yeah, it was, you know, horrible time for my, my friends and family. And, um, you know, still, there's quite a few days there that I just weren't sure, you know, yeah. whether I was going to make it. So, yeah, luckily for them I'm, and myself, I'm still here. And, uh, yeah. Like we said, I suppose um, these setbacks become um, setups for comebacks. Tell us about the public speaking that you do. Yeah. So, if you'd asked me, <laughs> A few years ago, mm. if I'd ever be a public speaker, I would have said, no way. If you'd yeah. known me before this whole attack, there's yeah. no way I would have got up in front of people. 
But um, it's, I got asked to do it, obviously, with my story, I got asked to do it and realized that I really liked it and quite enjoyed it. And not only did it help me, it helped others. And that's probably by speaking to other people and, re- and it realized that maybe this whole thing I've been through had, was, had a much bigger purpose and maybe the purpose of my whole trauma and everything I've been through was to, to help and serve others. Um, and that's what I'm doing now. That's why I'm getting up and sharing my story and hope that I can help other people that are going through hard times and inspire them to do things that are outside of their comfort zone or do things that are hard and, yeah. you know, the the personal growth that I've had from doing things that are challenging and and just just trying genuine new things. Yeah, it's been amazing. I'm, I can't believe where I am today, to tell you the truth. So good. Oh, it's definitely inspiring me, Jace. I'll tell you, how do we book you? How do we get in touch with you? Uh, so you can book, you go into my website, uh, info, uh, sorry, chrisblows.com.au. Uh, you can, it's got all the details. It's got testimonials. It's got links to my book. It's got my email address. You can make contact if you have any inquiries about any speaking opportunities. So, yeah. Beautiful. Well, mate, thank you so much for joining us, coming right. on the podcast. Good luck at the championships thank next you. week. Final question. Yeah. What, what dreams and aspirations do you have beyond this? Um, I suppose just to be – I really, I really want to win a – World Adaptive Surfing title, and I really want to make when if if they it's looking likely if they put the um the surfing into the Paralympics, then that's that's my sort of that's my goal is to make the Par Paralympics and um, compete in that, and then obviously just be a, a, better, a better dad and yeah. Awesome. Keep surfing. Awesome, mate. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Make sure you get jump online and have a look at his website and book him. Good on you guys. Thanks. Thanks See you all next week. Thanks again for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. Do not forget to like and subscribe, follow, all that stuff that you know you need to do. Please do it. It does make a difference.